360Ed TV is brought to you by Rice Studios and Agility. Today we have Siva Navaratnam, who is the Head of Operations Risk at the Institutional Bank of the ANZ. Siva, welcome to 360Ed TV. Thanks, Tony. Great, great, great to be here. It's, uh, it's great to have um, some partners, I guess, from the corporate space as well. A lot of what we do on 360Ed TV is focused around higher education. Um, to have folks from the corporate space, institutional spaces, is important for us because it gives us a broader perspective of the kinds of risk uh, uh, institutional, organisational uh, questions that many universities need to answer. We'll dig into those a little bit in a moment, but sure. um, first of all, I, I wanted to um, discuss uh, an article in The Australian last February, and I think it just kind of sets the context here. The article was by Michael Bennett, and he interviewed your CEO, uh, Shane Elliott, and Shane discussed the role of fintechs and regulatory tech companies in helping to mitigate organisational risk through partnerships. And um, Shane talked about the way in which ANZ was trying to escape the trap of driving up operational risk by doing, doing too much themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, many unis are billion-dollar uh, or near-billion-dollar companies, but they've typically had a history yeah. of doing it and building it themselves. Um, from your position, Siva, um, are the traps that the universities should be aware of? Yes. Uh, thanks, Tony. Uh, that, that, that's a good question. So let me perhaps take a step back and just probably paint a bit of the environmental context, right? So if you think about many organizations now, we are at the cusp of what I call the inflection point around digital transformation. And we are coming from a historical context of where a lot of uh, how we've managed our businesses has been a function of building business models and execution processes that have not necessarily been subject to a significant transformational need to change. But digital has changed that quite a bit. And you know, one of my favorite quotes uh, now is, you know, if, if you if every time you meet someone new, you will learn something new, right? So the question is that uh, in the digital space, we know there are a lot of FinTech and RegTech partners who have obviously gone out there and tried out many different ways of finding solutions to existing problems. We've just got to accept the fact that um, we're not necessarily going to have all the knowledge. There are people out there who will have some of this knowledge. We've just got to find the right partners in order for them to support our strategy. And the reality is that if you think about risk management, there are essentially three components to it, right? Uh, there is the external environment that you've got to face into. There is the business model that you have in terms of being able to respond to the external environment or, or, or win in the external environment, and then your execution processes. Now, if you look at the business model and if you look at the execution processes, there are fundamentally three parts to that. That is your people, your processes, and your technology. What we are saying is that when, if you can find people who are better qualified, more knowledgeable to be able to bring solutions quicker, if you can find technology partners who can bring solutions quicker, that will actually help us enhance the customer experience. Rather than us trying to do it ourselves, and as you know, with large transformational projects, one of the biggest challenges is always execution risk. 
And execution risk, as you know, is a big operational risk. So I think universities and any organization going through this transformational change needs to, first of all, accept, are we really good at executing some of these new changes? And if we're not good, you know, please, please, I think we've got to bring other people in to make it work. And and that's exactly what Chang's doing. Mm. No, it's, it's a, your point around the execution component, I think, is really important because Typically, for those implementations, institutions brought in big players like the Oracles and the IBMs of this world. But I wonder sometimes whether or not we've taken that waterfall approach to those projects. We haven't thought about it in an agile way. So we end up yes. with this very large, overblown solution that we probably didn't really need. Yes, no, great point. So I think, I think the Technology has also evolved. If you think about, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, a lot of large organizations had to have big bang projects because the technology was not available to do this iterative change. You know, today, for example, we have things like APIs, right? Application programming interfaces where yes. that allows us to still have those old legacy systems, but you actually build on them with smaller type applications that allows you to leverage those old legacy systems. Uh, that, and, you know, also with uh, advancement around uh, coding, new language, they've all allowed us to do things very differently, seamlessly and quicker. So why would you want a big bang approach to try and change uh, your core banking systems, for example, or your core uh, learning platforms when you actually have some of these uh, smaller, cleverer systems and applications that allow you to do things quicker? Yeah, you're right. The architecture piece, I think, is probably underplayed in a lot of planning. Uh, IT gets it but probably at the executive level, you don't really think about the impact of those changing architectures. So, yeah, good Correct. point. Yeah. Yeah. Question for you. Um, you recently spoke at the Learning uh, Innovation Summit in Melbourne and on the stage were a, a truckload of uh, international and Australian uh, educational leaders. Um, and they spoke about a whole variety of things from credentials through to innovation um, uh, initiatives in the US. Your presentation uh, it was interesting. A three-pronged approach to improving engagement with dry <laughs> topics. Yes. That's, yes. Uh, so what did you share with the attendees? It sounds interesting, actually. All right. So so if you think about risk generally in any large organization, the moment, you know, as a risk manager myself, when I walk into a room, um, people sort of go, oh, the risk guy is here, or the risk person is here. And uh, you know we're going to have to deal with some either either good news or even worse news, right? And and the, and the question is how do you make that interaction engaging? And if you think about how we live our lives day to day, you know we unconsciously manage risk anyway. You know when you catch the train to work or you get to your car when you drive, uh, we don't think of it as risk management, but we unconsciously manage it. The challenge for us in a large organization, we cannot say we are unconsciously managing risk. We need to demonstrate that we're consciously managing risk. So the challenge for us was, how do we get people to consciously want to learn and understand our risk management frameworks and policies so that they can apply that in their day-to-day job? So what we did was, the first thing is we had to be very clear about the why. So why were we doing this? And the answer was very simply this. The answer was, at the bank, people trusted us with their money, people trusted us with their life, and we had to live up to that expectation of being a trustworthy uh, organization. And risk management is at the heart of building the trust. So we had to get that message out very clearly uh, and simply. The next thing was around the content, so the what. 
And if you think about online delivery and, and, and learning, uh, the what becomes quite challenging because you're talking about an individual's personal knowledge. Everyone's knowledge is different. Uh, you're talking about everyone's roles are different. Uh, you know, if you're working in frontline sales, what you think of risk and the way you see risk is very different to if you're working in technology or if you're working in a country like Singapore, Hong Kong, for that matter. So the question is, how do we deliver content that was relevant and unique to the individual experience and knowledge of that person? And, and that required a bit of thinking and a bit of work. Clearly, the technologies today and the platforms we have actually allow us to tailor that delivery. So that was critical in terms of what. And then the how. And the how was obviously, once again, coming back to the earlier question, we had to find a partner that could actually work with us in a way that it made it seamless, made it unique. They, they, they had gamification behind it. And yeah. what we did was we, we deployed a training module that actually had a space theme. So, you know, a lot of people love games, especially the younger folks these days. You're basically logged in and you navigated a space shuttle through the universe. You had to uh, conquer seven different planets and each planet was a, was a risk team. And the underlying content that's set in that planet was a function of your role function and the geography in which you operated in. So that made it unique. Now, we also realized that the best way to actually learn is to give people immediate feedback. I mean, how do you teach a five-year-old kid not to do something wrong? You give them immediate feedback and that applies to adults too. So as you were navigating the, the, the course, you got immediate feedback if you got something wrong and you had you had a sort of a, a, a sort of a chat bot or a smart bot that basically tells you you got this wrong. Have you considered this? Have you considered that? So you're sort of learning by doing. And 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 the best part is it was it was deliverable 24/7 on any device, anywhere, anytime. So you know it allowed it allowed that that quick uh, smart learning on a continuous basis, but yet it was tailored. So that was how we sort of took dry topic and tried to make it interesting. And we're still evolving and, and, and trying to get it right. It's not an easy topic. <laughs> it's not. And as you talked about it, I, I did make a note about the gamification piece because it's such um, it's such a, a, an engaging way to take people from those, as you say, those dry topics, but get them to play with concepts in a totally different way. And when you start to see things like leaderboards come up on screen, that there's a competitive layer to a lot of people, and it just really helps them with that carrot. That's that's good. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the um, over the last uh, twelve months, um, your CEO has been engaged in a really explicit drive towards digital and embracing, engaging with disrupting players. And I guess yes, a really yep. good example of that is the way in which. ANZ has parted with Apple around Apple Pay. Um, also, uh, uh, there's been the onboarding of Google's former CEO, Miley Carnegie. Um, so there's a really, as I said, explicit drive towards refocusing, re-pivoting, if you like. Executing that kind of strategy, though, means initiating and sustaining fairly deep cultural transitions away from you know, the existing norms and you've got to start thinking about, as we said before, embracing agile design thinking kinds of frameworks as core tenants. How do you think yeah. ANZ's going about that plan? And I guess um, I'm also interested in how you think about celebrating those successes when they do come. Yeah, good, good question, Tony. So let's just accept the fact, firstly, that any cultural change is hard, right? Yes. Uh, yep. But... You know, any cultural change is hard, uh, and and I suppose what 
makes it easy or what, 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 what we can do is over time is that we've got to work out uh, and be very clear about what we're trying to achieve, first of all. Uh, and in Shane's mind, uh, he's very clear and I completely agree with him that banks, in terms of their relevance going forward, if they are not in the digital space, uh, they're going to be dinosaurs. And I think that not just applies to banks, but applies to many other organizations, including universities, I would say. Um, so the, I, I actually think Shane is also one of those leaders who actually knows his strengths, knows his weaknesses, and he's also got a lot of humility. And And my view is that the appointment of Miley by Shane was actually a masterstroke because he realized that Miley had the skill set. And if you meet Miley, you'll know what I'm talking about. An extremely energetic and focused leader. And just seeing her jumping around the stage when she speaks gives you a buzz about, you know, you know, wanting to be digital. Uh, so so I think you'll find that, you know, she's, she's she just brings chip. The, the other thing is in terms of this cultural change, you've got to make sure you empower people who are visible, who are dedicated, and truly believe that this can be achieved, because they will make a big difference in terms of shifting that that dial on 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 that cultural change. And if and if you think about the first step that Shane had to do was one is to convince the board and convince his own executive members uh, of his management team. That I think is a fundamental critical element to actually any cultural or transformational change. If you don't have that tone set at the top and that commitment at the top, you're going to fail. And if I think about why I believe he's been very successful, because if I look at uh, the management layers above me, everyone's got that buzz about it. Everyone's behind it 100%. And you can actually see actions being taken. So that itself drives this, you know, to your point around continuous success. Because if people are continually talking about it, willing to try, willing to learn, willing to innovate, you will it'll become a self-fulfilling sort of, opportunity to, 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 to learn and, and constantly evolve. The other thing I'll say is that uh, other than the commitment, you need to constantly communicate. I think, you know, what, what Shane has done is uh, in terms of adopting agile way of practice, we call it the new ways of working within ANZ. He has once again got another very senior leader of ours by the name of Catherine Bray. And Kath has done a fantastic uh, piece of work around actually communicating, communicating, communicating how we're going to work in small agile teams uh, and how we're going to delay your bureaucracy and how we're going to work together as, as, as really teams. By the way, this concept of, of uh, collaboration in small teams isn't a new isn't a new concept. I mean, I remember when I was doing management studies back in the late 90s, I remember there was a, um, a, a, a author called Kudzenberg or a management call. He said, you know, what makes a team? A team is a small number of people, complementary skills, common purpose, uh, and 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 uh, support each other, right? And if you look at the agile methodology, that's exactly what it's trying to do. Uh, it's just that you need the right skill sets and the right teams to come together to get to that outcome, uh, rather than, you know, having to consult with a lot of people around the organization to get to the outcome. So you get the commitment in place, you get the you get the vision in place, you get the commitment in place, you get the team in place, and then you go and execute and you're willing to make mistakes and learn from it. And I think yep. that habit and, and, and practice needs to be in place in order for you to uh, get this cultural change around digital. And and I think we're seeing success already. I mean, it's hard, but we, we're already seeing successes. I mean, we in institutional operations, for example, today, 
already use uh, robotic process automation in our operational processes. You know, a lot of people thought it wasn't going to be easy, but it's already there. We use close to 400 uh, bots doing processing. So it can be done. Absolutely it can, yeah. Uh, look, I think if we think about, if we consider the way in which we're moving to agile, we're moving to design thinking, and we think about those smaller teams, for me, as I look at it from a, a management layer, the way in which you support the informal leadership layers is so critical. You're right. It, it, without yes. that leadership at the board level, uh, you don't have that hand on the compass and that clear view of where the map is going. Yes. But having said that, unless you've got that buy-in from the informal leaders who are always there, uh, you know, bubbling away within their teams, unless you've got that and you're able to articulate the value and the benefit and they're able to do that with their teams and bring that enthusiasm there, it makes the project so much harder. Um, yes. Yeah. Just on that point, Tony, I'd say, so if you think about uh, one of the things Shane has done differently is he has this thing called his extended leadership team meeting, uh, usually every quarter, but he doesn't call them his extended leadership team. He calls them the extended most visible leadership teams. Um, and these are not necessarily senior people. These are actually even sometimes junior people who yep. who have who are visible uh, or people who you know could be running a call center. They may not be they may not be in terms of seniority of the organization very high up, but they're managing 50, 100, 150 people. So they come to Shane's leadership team meeting and they hear directly from him and his executive members around Ooh. how do we go down this journey of transforming ourselves in terms of becoming a digital bank. And that's a very different approach to a lot of, uh, I would have thought a lot of different uh, organizations are taking. So it's not about the hierarchy, but it's about who can really make the biggest impact. Exactly. exactly. The hierarchy gives you a structure, but it doesn't necessarily give you the impact. That's a really good point. Yes. Um, in in uh, an AFR article last year, uh, James Ayers uh, described how Mailey had just jumped into issues like the adoption of AI blockchain, growing influence of data, um, and about how banks should uh, better collaborate with, with startups to remain competitive. The work that we've been doing over the last couple of months at 360 TV has been looking at the way in which institutions like universities better collaborate with, with, with tech startups. But those issues around blockchain and AI are exactly the same ones confronting education globally. What are the things that maybe universities could take from the trans uh, transformative approach that ANZ is taking when it thinks about mitigating its own educational risks? Because they're in a, a highly regulated environment. They're struggling to come to terms with tightening financial inputs, especially after the, uh, the comments by uh, Simon Birmingham earlier this week. There are lots of similarities. Yes, yep, yep. So good, good question, Tony. Um, you know, so what? You know, the question is, what can universities take from this? And if you think about, I mean, a, let, let's not focus on ANZ for a moment. Let's think about any other Ooh. successful organization that has done this really well. And in, this is my view: is that one is um, they sort of break it up into I, I call it three levels of capability. One is you need to you have the right leadership capability. Without the right leadership capability, nothing gets done. I mean, if you even think about 
you know, a small organization or a medium organization or a large organization, that leadership capability is fundamentally important. But in terms of the type of leadership quality you're looking for, you're looking for someone who doesn't necessarily say they know everything, but are willing to adapt to change, right? They're willing to look outwards, look at what's good out there, learn from it. In fact, you know, I would say, I, you're probably familiar with this term, but Darwin said it's not about the most intelligent uh, or, the, or the most fittest in terms of survival, but the ones that are most adaptable to change. Most adaptable, right? yeah, so exactly. You, you, need, you need leaders who are adaptable to change in order to, first of all, be able to then look out and, and, and look at some of this new emerging technology. That's one. Two is then you need to think about how you actually deliver change. And delivery of can be quite hard if you haven't got the right people behind you, you haven't got the right partners behind you. Uh, otherwise, you'll never be able to deliver. So delivery management and delivery practices become a fundamental part of being successful. Uh, and we've seen many organizations where they've had the right leader, but they've not aligned themselves with the right uh, partners in order to deliver, so they don't execute, right? And the third one is, uh, I call it the right values or, or the right um, uh, fundamental people values that you need to actually deliver. And so in ANZ, for example, we have a values uh, called uh, call, uh, iCare. A big part of that is collaboration, right? Integrity and collaboration. You need those values uh, uh, sort of really very clearly um, uh, embedded in the way people work. And Shane has also been very good about establishing purpose for us. And, you know, our purpose is to help communities and people thrive. That's a fundamentally a very important mindset shift for a bank to think about everything we do, are we helping people and communities thrive? You know, it's 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 a hard hard journey ahead of us, but at least we got our sense of purpose and direction now. So for me, if you you know any organization that wants to be successful, one is have leaders that are willing to change and look for new and changing and emerging technologies, have the right delivery mechanisms and think about what that means. It might be agile, it might be uh, I don't know hierarchical structures, it might be partnerships. So you want to deliver. And the third one is drive the values really hard and have a sense of purpose. I think if you have those three things fundamentally in place, I think there's no reason why you can't be successful for that matter of any organization. Siva, I, I was taking notes as you were, you were talking through that. And the way that you constructed that through the leadership, the partnership piece, the value piece, I think is a template for any organization who wants to successfully um, go through that, that transformational piece, whether it's digital, whether it's cultural, whatever. And I think the leadership capability, quality and adaptability piece is really important as, as boards and as, as, um, as government layers reflect on the leadership that they do bring into companies. And I have to say, um, yeah. what you talked about there really, uh, I think, resonates strongly in the work that you see um, Martin Bean, for instance, doing at RMIT, the vice chancellor there. He has come from mm -hmm. Open University UK. Um, he's been at RMIT for a couple of years now, a few years, but the way in which he's building that capability piece out, the quality piece, and the way, the, the way in which he demands that adaptability in terms of thinking has been really important for RMIT as it, as it looks to continue to transform itself. Yeah. Finally, quick question. I understand you've dipped your toes in the water a little bit and you, you've uh, done a, an MIT short course, uh, Data into Insight. What was that experience like? Yes. 
Oh, it's, it was fantastic. I mean, as I was yeah. saying uh, earlier, uh, you know, uh, trying to do a course online is always a challenge, but you can always supplement an online course if you if you if you want to with other methods of also learning. And mm. I mean, perhaps if I just say to you, the reason why I did that course is because you know, to me, digital transformation is a function of making sure you understand data. Uh, you know, you're having knowledge about your data and having insights from your data. Without that data, you're never going to become digitally successful. Um, and that's why I did the course. Uh, I must say it was an online course, but what I did was to supplement uh, the online course, I actually got a cohort of about two or three people at work to also do the course simultaneously. And then on Thursday mornings, we had brekkie together, breakfast together, and we discussed the course. That really helped us uh, and motivated us to actually keep going with the course because the course is actually quite technical. I mean, you're looking at some deep uh, principles around statistics and algorithms uh, and understanding data in terms of uh, technical side of data. Mm. And you know, to be honest, I'm 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 not the smartest guy in the room to 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 understand some of this some of these uh, fundamental technical principles. So working with someone else who has that data knowledge actually helped me learn too, right? So, um, yeah. and, and I, that would be a template for me if I was gonna do any other course going forward, I'd rather get a small cohort of people coming back to this agile team uh, with complementary skills, different knowledge sets, uh, and come together to actually do a online course. And I think that will be pretty powerful. I'll, I'll say also, Tony, I have a fundamental view or a principle or, or quote, you know, your actions and your thinking is limited to what you do not notice. Right. Uh, I know it's a bit of a you need to think about what I just said, but fundamentally, you do not know what you do not know. But you must be always willing uh, to want to know. And that comes back to your mindset and your growth mindset. Uh, something else that Shane has been very clear um, about that, you know, to survive in the future, you need to have that growth mindset. Um, and, and I think that's pretty powerful. Siva, it has been an absolute uh treat talking with you. I've really enjoyed it. Um, no, 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 me yeah. too. I really enjoyed it too, Stoney. <laughs>